Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good. Good to hear. Hey, uh, my name is Winston. I am the worship pastor here. But today, I'm speaking to you. Um, I have a question, though. Uh, have you ever been insecure in your faith? <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, uh, let me pray you guys out. And, um, <laughs> I, think, I think it's actually a really common thing that we all experience, you know, uh, whether you're, you're new to the faith or you've been uh, walking with Jesus for a really long time. Insecurity in our faith is something I think that a lot of us experience in different ways. Uh, for me, um, I remember this one time, um, you know, growing up and uh, I was uh, kind of a Christian earlier on and, and uh, I actually liked reading my Bible and studying it and stuff. And uh, I was like, like a, ended up being like a youth pastor at 17 and, uh, and, and a lot of my uh, faith journey uh, was um, like I, I was learning a lot kind of like around my like high school days. And, uh, and I actually started this uh, Bible club at my high school. And I think like um, I don't know that a ton of my friends like knew that I was Christian. Uh, not because I acted in any way, but I never really like brought it up. But I was like, I was challenged to start this Bible club by a few of my uh, leaders in my life who were really encouraging my faith. So we started this club, and uh, and <laughs> I remember uh, they announced that um, our like over the loudspeakers at our school that there was a Bible club opening up, and I'm sitting in class and this is happening, and everybody in the class is like. <laughs> Bible club. Oh my God! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and then, and then they were like, Winston would love to. You. And they like looked at me like, Oh no, it's cool. Like that's great. <laughs> and so, what what I felt in that moment was like, Oh man, all eyes are on me. Like it's out. I'm a Christian. Everybody knows. So I didn't. Th- I didn't like. <laughs> I didn't think about about this part. That now I'm gonna have to like. Do I like have to act differently now, or like make sure that people know all the time? Um, and so, and if you if you're in high school and you want to start a, a club, um, a Bible club, just don't call it Bible club, like it's not a great name. Um, uh, and so I remember this one time. So we had started the Bible club or whatever, um, and we were sitting in lunch, um, uh, or I'm sitting in lunch, and there's this kid across, it's like sitting across from me. And have you ever heard someone like uh, cuss? so aggressively you think they're angry, but you look up and they're just chilling. Like, it's like, what is going on? And they were, it was like, they were like talking bad about people and all this stuff. And it was like, really started to get under my skin and, and kind of make me angry. And then he leans forward and this cross necklace swings out from, you know, under his shirt. And I'm like, all eyes on me. I'm a Christian. I got to say something. So all Clint Eastwood like, I'm like, take that off. Take that cross necklace off. <laughs> and uh, I think I was bigger than him, um, and I was a senior, and I think he was like a sophomore or something. So I think that, that helped the conversation go in the way that I hoped it would. Um, he didn't end up taking the thing off, but he actually started coming to the Bible club and uh, ended up being one of like, the members of the, the like, our, like a teacher um, uh, at one of, uh, at, in the club. And I remember this one time I was teaching. Uh, I don't remember what I was teaching on, but he like raised his hand and he corrected me in something I was teaching about the Bible. And <laughs> I should have been really encouraged <laughs> that he 
new, but I'm like, dude, like two weeks ago, <laughs> you were cussing up a storm and speaking badly about people, and we almost fought. <laughs> How can you know more about the Bible than me? And I knew he was right, and it just made me angry. I was like, dang it, why? And like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you're like, you know, like a subject really well, and then someone you don't like turn like they know way more about that subject than you and oh it just stinks uh and I experienced that in that moment but what it did to me like I said instead of being encouraged I was actually really defeated I got kind of insecure in my faith because I'm like all of this Christ likeness all of the the effort that it actually took to start a bible club and all my bible study and reading and and uh, this guy knows more than I do and it was actually really Defeating, really, it brought up this, a lot of insecurity uh, in my own faith. And um, maybe today, uh, or before, or uh, you have these insecurities in your faith. And maybe they've come to you in, in different ways, you know. Maybe you, uh, you've been a Christian for a really long time, but there's this uh, insecurity that you have. Like, there's, there's something missing. Like, yes, I'm a Christian, but... Isn't there something more, like you should know more? Or, uh, or this one, like, like have, has anyone ever asked you or said to you, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian? And it's like, what? Not that I'm like trying to show it all the time, but like, I thought it would be a little evident. And it's like, oh, it, like, it hurts. It's like, it's like, am I not doing enough? Am I not enough? And so maybe you're, uh, you've been a Christian for a while, but you still think it's weird that you're embarrassed to pray out loud, or that you, you've been a Christian for a while, and you're like, I, I actually don't know how to pray, and I think I should know that by now. And maybe because of these insecurities, like people see good character in you, and they know you're a Christian, and so they offer you maybe like leadership opportunities or something like that, and you turn them down because you're not where you should be in your faith. Or uh, maybe you have a family and you know a family Bible study would probably be a good idea, but because you don't know enough about the Bible and you're kind of uh, insecure in what you know, you don't start one. And so being insecure in your Christianity uh, seems to be what Paul is actually addressing in this letter to the church in Ephesus. And uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 3, uh, verse 14. And actually, I'm going to go ahead and read this now um, and see. So I'm just going to read this now and then kind of explain, kind of draw all the, put all the pieces together, okay? Um, so this is, this is a prayer at the end of a few chapters of him explaining what I'm about to tell you. So uh, this is Ephesians uh, 3.14. It says, for this reason, this is Paul uh, praying over these um, insecure Christians in Ephesus. He says, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom uh, every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. So a little bit of the context about this church. This church is, um, uh, uh, it is, it is part of Rome. Uh, Ephesus is part of Rome. Um, this church is full of, uh, obviously, Christians, but they are uh, g- mostly Gentile Christians. And what Gentile basically means is, is non-Jew. Um, the Jews at this time, or, or, or basically for all of history nearly up to this point, the Jews have been the family of God. Jews can literally trace back their lineage, their grandfathers, fathers, 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 fathers all the way back to Abraham. And that is how they know that they are a part of the family of God. For a Gentile, so Jesus comes, preaches. This is uh, 30-ish years maybe after this, after Jesus uh, has preached. And um, it seems like these Gentiles are still kind of struggling to understand that they are a part of the family of God because God blessed Abraham, who was a man who lived thousands of years before this, And he said, through Abraham, I'm going to bless all your kids and you will be my family. And so a Gentile would read that and say, oh, I'm not in, got it. But what Jesus has done is is he has said, now we are all one family. The plan has been that we would be one family. And so Paul kind of has his work cut out for him in convincing these people, clarifying to them that no, 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 no. The Jews are in, yes, and you are in. There is now no separation. We are one family. That is actually what he's been talking about from Ephesians 1, chapter 2, and then here in 3, and he's ending chapter 3. And so what he, how he starts in Ephesians 1, and, and man, if you read Ephesians 1, it's super encouraging. So he starts out, hey, saints in Ephesus, you Christians, you have to know that you're in. And how you know you're in is he list off a few really cool things. He says, one, I think one, one of the things that's really important is he says that before the foundation of the world. So, so this Jew, the, the Jews trace back their lineage all the way to Abraham, but he, wa- he wants to really clarify that even before Abraham, you Gentiles were in because he thought of you before the foundation of the world, before he made anything. This was his plan all along, that all people would actually be a part of his family. And he calls them saints, blessed. This is cool, blessed in the heavenly places. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds awesome. I'm in. Blessed in the heavenly places, were chosen by God, adopted as his kids, been redeemed, meaning we've been bought by God from sin and death. We've been forgiven of sin and death. He lavishes riches on us. This is all Ephesians 1. And that Christ... Uh, this, I think, in, in later in two, he, he clarifies that Christ, in his crucifixion, has actually broken the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, and now they're one. We're all mixed together as one family. For them, this is a new concept. But there's a problem, though. So, so he's talking to these Gentile people, trying to get them to understand that they're in. But then he says... Uh, basically, um, he kind of presents the problem, I think, in Ephesians like 1, 17 and 18. He starts to say that you need the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him to know. 
And so he starts to kind of reveal this idea that, okay, even though I'm working to convince you to understand that you're a part of the family of God, knowing you're a part of the family of God is not enough. Like even, even honestly, even for me, like even as I read uh, Ephesians 1, I like read all those cool promises. I understand that I'm a part of the family of God. I'm, I'm blessed in the heavenly places. And then I'm like, cool. Now what? I don't know. <laughs> like I'm in, thanks. And, and Paul's saying is like, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, that's the thing. You just know it. And that's not enough. There's a problem there. You just know it. And so let's start to break Ephesians uh, 3, 14 through 21 down a little bit, and maybe we'll kind of get an idea of what Paul is trying to say. So he begins with, for this reason. And I think I've covered a lot of that already, the reason that he's praying. I think if we, if we go back and look, um, he, Paul does this thing where he'll like start a sentence, and then uh, he says, for this reason, oh, um, blah, 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 uh, for this reason, blah, 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 blah. And so there's, there's these little gaps in his thought. Um, maybe he's writing really fast or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but he says, for this reason, in 3.1, and if we look at the verses before that, he has just talked about that thing I said about how, how Christ has broken down this dividing wall. We are one family. And not only are we a family, we not only are the household of God, but he says then that we are actually being built together to be the place that God chooses to live. So imagine that there's literally a house right here, okay? God, this is God's house. God's living in it. He's chilling on the couch watching TV. And we are his kids. We're literally living in the house. But Paul gives this beautiful example, and he says, actually, the house itself is you too. And the whole point is uh, that he's trying to make is you have access to him. Like how much access, like if, if you're in your room and your dad's on the couch watching TV, do you have access to him? Absolutely. What if you're actually the house that he's in <laughs> and the couch that he's sitting on? How much access do you have to him? That's the point that he's trying to make. And so I think one of the reasons that he's starting to pray is like, one, it's not enough to know who you are. You got like, like even though you have access and that's part of knowing who you are as the family of God, it's not enough. But still for this reason, I'm praying. I think another reason Another reason he's praying is if you look uh, at those verses right before, he says, don't lose heart because I'm in prison. So I think a lot of, uh, I think there, uh, for me at least as I read that, I think there he's starting to speak to or he is revealing to us that there, I mean, there is some insecurity in this church, that maybe they're prone to lose heart when uh, either they lose leadership or, or they obviously, Paul was like this, uh, incredible man of faith, and so they got a lot of encouragement from him. And I think he's trying to paint this picture, like, "Hey, hold on, like, like you, I, I'm, I'm really trying to clarify who you are in God. It's not enough to know it, but don't lose heart because of what I'm about to pray for you." And so I think that is the reason that he prays. And then he, he says, "So for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is is named." So I think there's a few things I want to look at in, in this little section. One, don't be secure, insecure in your faith because you are part of the whole family. Now, I say whole family, even though the verse says every family. If we go back to that thing where it talked about we were made into one um, whole structure, whole structure and every family, that whole and every is actually the very same word in Greek. 
And so I would actually argue that when he says every family is named by God, the point he's been making the whole time is that there's one family. And it's actually the same word. So I think what Paul is saying here is that um, I bow my knee before the Father whom um, the one family of God is named. And where is this family? They're on earth, Jew and Gentile, man and woman, whatever. But not only on earth, but in heaven. So you remember how... um, like the Jews, uh, and actually in this time, there's, I forgot to say this, but actually in this time, there's these, uh, the sect of Jews who were called the Judaizers who would basically confirm all of their insecurities. So imagine the insecurities you have in your faith right now, okay? Whatever it is. And I said, yeah, no, you're exactly right. That's why you suck as a Christian. Would you open your Bible to whatever? Like that's like, how much worse would that make your insecurity? And so there are those, uh, these kind of, those, those people who, I think the Judaizers were Christian, but they didn't fully understand this mystery that we are all one family yet. And so, uh, so what I think Paul is saying is the whole family of God on earth and in heaven, who's in heaven? Father Abraham. The one that these Jews take all their lineage back to. He says that even Abraham is actually a part of this family too that this is one big family of God and you're a part of that. Don't lose heart. And then he says that we are named by him. I think the implication is obviously that what are we named? If he's the father, we're his kids. Check, you can move on. Um, But I think naming uh, is, naming doesn't mean um, to us what it meant to them. Um, Like if I change your name, you're like, don't do that. <laughs> I like my name. Or you can call me that name. I probably won't look up when you <laughs> like, call me whatever this new name is. But uh, this was a bit different. So, so what I want you to, I'm going to tell you a story, okay? This is, this is in Rome, and this is actually something that would often happen in Rome. Um, you are a Gaul, okay? Uh, Gauls were a people group that the Romans would fight a lot, and they primarily lived in uh, like Scandinavia and France and stuff. Um, and imagine this Gaul is like, has like a cool tooth necklace and crazy hair and, and like a sweet, um, uh, what do you, uh, this, uh, no. uh, uh, furs, you know, just like this awesome majestic warrior or whatever. But uh, Rome is way ahead of their time in technology. And so they defeat you. But since Rome wants to be an empire, it's it's more advantageous for them not to kill you, but to integrate you into what it is to be a Roman. And so uh, the, the common thing that would happen to a Gaul like that, who is valuable in war, is they would actually have to be a part of the Roman military. They would be trained up to be a part of the military, um, and they would have to serve for about 25 years before they could ever hope to gain citizenship as a Roman and take on a Roman name. Now, Rome was all about status. There was no question how much money you made. It was because of where you sat at the Colosseum and uh, what you wore and who you hung out with and where you could and couldn't go. It was very clear, your status. And so often these Gauls, as they're serving in the military, would be kind of really frustrated as like a second-class citizen. But as soon as they gain the citizenship, they get a name. They get a Roman name, and they're actually legit Roman, and it's this great accomplishment. Um, but something could interrupt, interrupt that 25-year process. Let's say that I am a Roman, uh, a Roman citizen, 
um, and I don't have any kids to give all of my wealth to. Now, um, uh, I think this is going to be a helpful detail later. I think it's good to imagine that, that, uh, that I'm not, um, like, even though I have money, I'm like one of those, like, cool rich people who are, like, really kind and, like, have good character and trustworthy and all that stuff. So I'm, like, a good person, too. And uh, since I don't have any family, I meet this Gaul who's serving in the military, and he's waiting to gain his citizenship in his Roman name, but there's something about him, man, I really like him. I think he has, he has good character. I see a lot of myself in him. And I really think that um, I could adopt him as an adult. This, is, this would really happen. As an adult, I could adopt him, and then all of a sudden, it sped up the process of him gaining his citizenship, and in some cases, you wouldn't have to serve in the military anymore because you gained your citizenship and you took on a name. What name? My name. You took on my name. So you took on my status, my reputation, my character, and all my stuff. But you just don't get my stuff because it's probably a farm that has to keep going. So you actually take care of my stuff and keep it going. And so to get a name, if we are named by this Father in heaven, okay, um, of whom all families in heaven and on earth and across centuries are named, named, meaning we take on his character. When we are named by God, it is just not just us changing up the letters of our name. It is we are taking on who he is. His character, this being named by him is a really big deal. And then his prayer finally begins in verse 16. He says that according to the riches of his glory. Now, I don't know if you've ever um, like thought about something so much that it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, but this was that phrase for me as I was studying this. I'm like, okay, according to the, the riches and then, is it according to the riches and to the glory? Is the glory the riches or are the riches the glory? And then how does this, <laughs> like, I just thought about it until I, like, had to take a break. Um, but I landed on this, and I think it's actually helpful with that story about the Gaul and the rich Roman guy to really understand this. So imagine that this rich guy, what makes someone rich? Their riches. Like what they have. But... I think what I would like to argue here in this text is that the glory is, like, you could be rich and a jerk. You could have, like, be very trustworthy and very well-known and, and people love you and you have good reputation and not be rich. But I think what this is saying is that according to the riches of his glory, so that God's personality, if you will, God's character, God's trustworthiness. It's so good, it makes them shine. Out of that come riches from that kind of a wealthy guy. Come these riches. So according to the riches from his glory, what? According to the riches of his glory, and again, like, like I think in this, it's, it's this whole thing of like, don't be insecure, it's okay. I'm trying to build this point. I'm trying to convince you you're a part of the family of God, but what's the father like? Like, what's the father like? This, this one that, 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 that calls you his family, what is he like? He's rich in glory. 
Don't be insecure. Verse 16, that according to the riches of glory, he would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. It's a lot of levels there. And there's a few things that I want you to see. Okay, so one, strengthened with power is so redundant to me. Mike, what else would you be strengthened with? Strengthen, I pray you be strengthened with strength, amen. <laughs> He's saying strengthened with power. So what I think it's implying is that this is not your power. Because according to the riches of his glory, he's giving you power, giving you, if you're tired, he's giving you caffeine via the spirit, the coffee. <laughs> this is a bad analogy, I shouldn't go here. Um, <laughs> to give you strength in your inner being. And I think here, he's actually calling back to Ephesians uh, like 1.17, where he says that you don't know who you are because you need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So I think there's layers of this here. We need the spirit who strengthens our inner being to really know who we are. But then I think it's also interesting that he's building up this whole thing to say, okay, the, the, the Father in heaven, who you're named by, you take on his character, he wants to, according to this great, the great riches that he has from his really cool personality, give you power, and that power comes from his spirit, and what it does is it strengthens you, and it strengthens your inner man, okay? So one thing about inner man is, is uh, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about how our flesh, the stuff we can see, is wasting away. But uh, God, as a very rich and wise investor, um, invests in what the scripture says is that your inner man is being renewed day by day. Your spirit is being renewed day by day. So God is investing in the most eternal part of you here. He's giving you strength. Now, this feels like it's really building up to something. Like I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't know this. It's unknowable for some reason, whatever I need to know, who I am in Christ. And I need strength, it seems, to comprehend it. And then I think verse 17 is the second thing that he prays for, okay? This is so, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The problem with that, though, uh, or not the problem, uh, the thing that's peculiar to me about that is these are Christians he's praying for. And what it is to be a Christian is to actually have Christ in your heart. So I don't think, even though the text says this, I think it's, uh, it's saying something a little bit different. I don't think he's praying that you, Christian, would have Jesus in your heart because we know that he already is. So if you, if you look at a verse um, that, uh, so Paul writes another letter around the same time to the Galatian church. And in Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 20, Paul kind of spells out, in a way, what it means uh, to be a Christian. And this is what um, Galatians 2.20 says. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. So if we are Christian, it means we are one with Christ, exactly one. We mimic him in every way, not of our own decision, but because of the nature of what it is to be Christian, that we are one with Christ. So he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, meaning that I have died. There's an old part of me that when Jesus died, I died along with him. And that the life I now live, like if you've heard of the term born again, I've been born again. There's a brand new life in my inner man that I live, and the source of that life is Christ. The problem, though, is do I look dead? 
No, thank you. Do I look born again? No. The life we now live in Christ, we live through faith. Faith is this wonderful thing in our relationship with God that says we believe the illogical. We believe the impractical. We believe the things that don't make sense to the human eye. And so because I don't look dead, because I don't look alive, through faith, we are believing that the life that we now live in the inner man, in our spirit, has been made alive, and the only way it's living is because its source is the life of Christ. When Paul in Ephesians 3.17 says that I pray that Christ would dwell in your heart, I think his emphasis lies on through faith. Faith is essential in our relationship with God. If we do not have faith that we have been made alive in Christ, there is no Christ in us. Okay? And I think it's, it's there, there's, a, or another way of saying it is, where your faith is strong, the presence of Christ is really strong and made powerfully manifest in your life. And where faith is weak, the presence of God or the presence of Christ is really tough to find and to discern. And so what I think he's saying here is that um, there's, one, this huge connection between faith and our relationship with Jesus, obviously. But I think if you have low faith, he is suggesting, I think, that this is a huge source of your insecurity now as a Christian. This is why knowing it is not enough. This is why you're on shaky ground because the faith you have isn't quite there. And I think the point that Paul is trying to make and he's been trying to make this whole time is about to be really, really clear. So, so far we know that God is giving his kids this power through his spirit to strengthen the inner part of us. Uh, for what? Why do we need strength? What's the point of the strength? He says that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength, there it is, the strength to what? To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So we would have strength so the Spirit gives us power our, uh, to, and that, then that power strengthens our inner man so that we can know this love that surpasses knowability? Like, what, what does that mean that, uh, like, how can I know something that surpasses knowledge? I can know that fire is hot. But I'm like, how hot, though? So, <laughs> how hot is <laughs> fire? I can know it's hot, but how hot? Oh, God. Ooh! <laughs> wow, that actually, I held that there too long. That, <laughs> ouch. Uh, <laughs> okay, pray for me. Uh, <laughs> that, that was knowledge that surpassed knowledge. And what is that? That's experience. 
that our inner being would be strengthened with power to experience the love of God. I can know that I am, like Ephesians 1, I can know that I'm blessed. I can know that I'm chosen. I can know that I have, uh, like, cool stuff in the heavenly places. But until I experience it, knowing isn't enough. Knowing isn't the full picture. And so what is Paul saying? (laughs) Paul, I think, is saying is if your faith is low and you're feeling insecure, what he's asking us to do is to experience the love of God. And how do we experience the love of God? I think there's a hint in rootedness and groundedness. Rootedness, when you think of rootedness, you think of a tree. It's rooted. When I think of groundedness or or foundedness, I'm thinking of a building, a structure, a foundation. And so what does someone do who acts like they are blessed in the heavenly places? They're rooted and grounded in love. And then I think they step out in faith. If we are blessed in the heavenlies, and that's the fire, I won't do it again. (laughs) That's the fire. I can can know I'm blessed there. But what is it to experience it? I think for me, I think some of you have stories like this. Um, Most of you. For me, though, uh, I remember the very first time that I, uh, um, I think, I think for me, um, even it, like in this, uh, kind of like right after that time in my life that I told you about the, like I was really growing in my faith, it got to a point where I'm like, there has to be more. And so a friend of mine, uh, the more, I think, uh, a friend of mine, like, uh, we both really challenged each other to, like, is this, like, prayer for healing stuff actually legit? Seems like it is. But the only way we're going to know is if we do it, and that sucks. (laughs) That's super scary. But because we were together, which is really helpful, um, we went uh, to the park, and we prayed for this, and I think I've told this story before, um, but we prayed for this lady who had fibromyalgia for years. And this fibromyalgia affected her nerves to the point where when she would breathe, every breath was full of pain. And so her daughter was with her. She didn't want prayer. We're like, okay. Um, and so we prayed for uh, the mother with fibromyalgia, and the craziest thing, I'm just responsible for the truth, okay? I can't, like, I don't want to say it's crazy, but um, we prayed, and I don't know how else to describe this, but it was like her body, like a wave or something, physically pulsed through her body as we prayed. It was just a simple prayer. Thank you for your healing power in Jesus' name. Do it. Um, she opens her eyes and tears are coming out and says, this is the first time in years I've been able to take a breath without pain. And then her daughter, who didn't want prayer, said, I have tennis elbow. You can pray for me. (laughs) And we prayed and it went away. How do you think my faith was that night? Rooted. Rooted. And my foundation was founded. I was so convinced that he loved me, actually. This, I think, is what it means to know beyond knowledge that we are blessed in the heavenly realms. I think what happened that day when I prayed, and I, I, I could only pray because I stepped out in the illogical. 
I stepped out in faith. I stepped out in what didn't look like would be possible. And then all of a sudden, I spent his riches. I spent the riches of his glory, and it showed itself to me in his love for me. This is what I think Paul is trying to say. How insecure was I after that? Not at all. Now, life comes again, and um, you know, time passes, and you forget the power, and it's this thing that we have to renew, which is great, actually, because this is an invitation of God to actually be in the family. You can't, you can't just live in the house. You are the house. You can't just stay in here. This invitation is to come out and live And for you, it doesn't have to be a miracle, but it has to be faith. It has to be faith. Um, And faith uh, usually is tough because it combats the physical. It combats what we think might happen logically. So sometimes stepping out in faith looks like stepping into leadership that you really didn't want to step into because you're nervous and you're unqualified. Sometimes stepping out in faith means saying no to the things you used to say yes to that you know are unhealthy for you or your family. Oh my goodness, it might mean change. It might mean that you need to change. To step out in faith to actually say, even though I've been consistent in ways, like maybe consistency for some of you like me is really valuable in some ways, no matter what the consistency is. And so actually for me, it's really tough to, to change and to be different, to, ask, to act different, and then to like, uh, I don't have kids, but it's like, dad, you've never prayed over dinner before. What are you doing? Sometimes stepping out in faith looks like that. And I think what Paul is saying is to know the love that surpasses knowledge, the way to that is one, you need strength because we can't um, (laughs) cause miracles or cause change in and of ourselves. It takes the power of the spirit working in our inner man to boost our confidence, to act in faith, and then uh, in faith, whatever changes comes back to us in love. We understand who we are as children of God a little bit more. And then here, the whole prayer that he's been praying hinges right here on this. That, like, like we do this, okay? We've, we've, we've prayed, stuff has changed. Uh, like I prayed for the lady and her daughter and it's like, great. I, like, like I can't not believe in God if I wanted to because it's happened to me. And he expressed himself to me as in love and I experienced it. And now what? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Just on the surface, that just, I don't really want to know what that means because it just sounds so poetically beautiful. But if we look into what it means, I think, what does it mean to be filled? It means that every nook and every cranny of your life, every thought, every hope, every dream, every intention, every stress, every whatever, you would experience his love in a way that fills you up with what? What is the fullness of God? I would, uh, like, contextually, I would say it might even be his glory. 
And what does it mean to be full of the fruit, one, fruit of the Spirit? This is that we would be full of the fullness of God, his glory and character, his glory in the fruit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control throughout all of us. That as we experience the love of God, that we would be more and more and more convinced of who we are in him so that we can no longer be insecure in who we are as children of God, that he desires to fill us with the fullness of him. Again, through faith, it is no longer you who live through faith, but Christ who lives in you to be full of the fullness of God. Now, by faith means I think in life we have to risk a little bit. We have to do the things that maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable. And that is the way that we experience God's love and know beyond knowledge who we are. And then Paul finishes his prayer here like this in verse 20. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to, there it is again, according to the power at work, but he doesn't say to give us strength. <laughs> this, this, this spirit in us isn't just giving us strength. It is so much more than just strength because he continually works in us, within us. And then, uh, I think earlier on in Ephesians, he actually talks about how we are to the praise of his glory. That's part of what it means to be Christian. And then here he says, to him be the glory in the church. This is the thing. We receive his love. We are full of the fullness of God. And then what do we do? We give it all back in praise. To the praise of his glory. I can't believe you did this. This is so good. He's like, oh, you think that's good. <laughs> and it's this beautiful cycle of what it is to be in the family of God. That we are full and we empty it like uh, I think John Wimber uh, says that, that, uh, that why, um, uh, or what does he say? Like, why do we need to be full of the Spirit? Because we leak. <laughs> we leak. Life hits us in different ways, at least here on this side of heaven. We leak, and so we are to be continually filled with the Spirit. And our response is, thank you, I praise you. And so glory, all your character, be in us, the church, the body, doing it together. I would not have gone to the park and prayed for that lady if it was by myself. That's the beauty of the church and doing this stuff together that we can encourage one another. And glory be to Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So the thing that I really want you to understand, one, your bank account is full that you as a child of God are in the family of God, you have access to him, but not only to him, but to all of his stuff. You are no richer than I, and I no richer than you. That we are all on this beautiful level playing ground having access to God. However, how fun is it to only know your bank account is full? Boring. It's great to know you're rich. Sucks not to spend it. This is the invitation. What? Like, I don't know. This is a totally aside. I won't go there. Yes, I will. Like, 
Why do you think it feels so good to just spend all the money you know you shouldn't? I think there's this inherent spiritual thing <laughs> in us where God has maybe like designed us to indulge. <laughs> That's so theologically off probably. But I'm just saying that the whole point of this is you are blessed spiritually with power. Glory and riches are yours because you're in his family. You can't just know it's there and accessible to you. You have to spend it. And how do we spend it? We step out in faith. We do the things that we weren't sure are possible. We aren't sure are possible, but we're convinced that it is something that God is inviting us to do. And then from there, we're convinced of his love for us, convinced we really do have access, that we really, like, like when you, you have a moment where God breaks through, you taste and you know that you just spent some of his money, and it was awesome. You're convinced you really love. So my encouragement to you is that you already have the money, but maybe you're just insecure about spending it. So start spending it. If you feel that you're insecure in your faith, my, one of my big, big asks for you um, is actually start praying. I think prayer is one of the things uh, that I would say actually takes your faith and sends it to the gym. Prayer is this, uh, prayer is actually really illogical. I'm gonna say words in my head and then all of a sudden something physically in, me, in front of me changes. It means that I prayed in my head and there's a God out there who heard it and acted on my behalf. That makes no sense in the physical. Prayer, that's an exercise of your faith because it makes no sense. Does it make, prayer shouldn't work and it does. So prayer is a great place to start. Start praying. And if you feel insecure in your faith, like if, you're, if you are one of the ones uh, in the room when I said, uh, it really hurts you when someone tells you, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. It's okay, keep going. Keep risking. Keep praying. Don't give up. Don't let that get in your way because you can know who you are because you act because of who you are, because who God's made you to be. Like how much more would we know the great truths of who we are if we would only step out a little in faith? Let me pray for you. Lord, uh, I am uh, so thankful for uh, my friends here today. Uh, God, I'm so thankful that they are a part of this uh, really super duper awesome family. Uh, thank you, God, that we uh, are wealthy in the ways that really matter. It's not just material stuff which goes away and doesn't last or satisfy, but Lord, you have made us rich in the ways that are so deep and so meaningful. God, I thank you that, um, that you have invited us to um, not only just be in your house, but act on your behalf. So God, I pray that you would, um, just like this prayer prayed, Holy Spirit, right now, would you with power strengthen the inner person of each and every one here to act in faith so that they could experience your love and be full of the fullness of God and then they would simply turn back to you and say, thank you, let's do it again. What a beautiful journey this is. We love you, in your name, amen.